am. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'll be taught God's word. It's his truth transforming every part of my life. And I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Alan, the Lord wanted me to tell you he's going to bless you this morning. I'm just being obedient. You know what that means, I don't, but he's going to bless you. Okay? So be prepared for whatever that is, okay? We are in the second week of the series called The Armor of God. The reason we're doing the series called The Armor of God is because the last month or so, the devil's decided that he's mad at us. <laughs> and, and he's been attacking the church and attacking some of our families. I know personally our family's been attacked. And I was talking to the Lord a couple weeks ago, and, and I said, Lord, I don't like it. He said, are you tired of it? I said, yes, sir. He said, then do something about it. Now, I want you to understand when God says do something about it, who is he talking to? You. He's talking to us. When God says do something about it, there's an implied you that I talked about last week. And the armor of God is about the implied you. In other words, God is saying you put on the armor of God. God's not going to put the armor on for you. God has a suit of armor with your name on it. It is custom fit, custom designed specifically for you. God knows your name. There's a suit of armor that he's got that's available for you. But I want you to clearly understand something. He's not going to put it on you. You have to put your armor on you. Does that make sense? And that's what the scripture clearly teaches us. God has a suit of armor, but you have to suit up. And when you say, you know what, I'm not going to put my armor on today. I'll be fine. And you walk out the door, usually that's when you get hit, isn't it? So we have to learn to put on the armor of God. Before we talk about that, i got to tell you a blonde joke. So, yeah, because, you know, it's important. And uh, there's no spiritual ramifications here, but I think it's funny. Okay, this guy was at a dinner, and, and he looked over, and the table he's sitting at, there's three ladies sitting at the table with him. And they're all blondes. And he said, hey, lady, he talks to the first lady. He said, hey, lady, do you want to hear a blonde joke? And she said, sir? I am six foot two. This is a lady. I am six foot two, and I'm an Olympic gold medalist. He says, all right. And, he, and she says, and the lady six, sitting next to me is six foot five and a gold medal bodybuilder. And she said, and the lady sitting next to her is five foot 11 and a world champion kickboxer. They're all blondes. And so she looks at him and says, sir, are you sure you want to tell a blonde joke? And he goes, well, not if I'm going to have to explain it three times. <laughs> That's awesome. Some of y'all get that later, and I'll let you determine what that means. <laughs> Ephesians 6, 13 through 17 is what we're going to be studying out of today. Therefore, Paul's talking here. He says, therefore, you put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith 
which with, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Here's the point today. God has given us weapons to use, but we must choose to use them. God has given us weapons to use, but we, individually, must choose to use them. The implication is, if God's asking you to do something, you have a choice. And I want you to understand very clearly, that's the way it works. You have a choice in life. God didn't create you to be a robot. You have free will. You can choose God's direction or not. And the scripture is full of story after story where people had a choice to make. And individually, each one of us do. Every day, we have a choice to make. Am I going to do it God's way or am I going to do it my way? And for those of you that have tried many times to do it your way, how's that worked out for you? Not very good, somebody said. Usually, if we go against what God wants us to do, not usually, always, if we go against what God wants us to do, what happens is what I like to call a train wreck. It's not pretty. So we have a choice to make when it comes to putting on our armor. We have a choice to make in the decisions about what God wants to do in our life and if we're going to follow his plan. Now, I want you to understand, the Apostle Paul is the one that broke, uh, wrote the book of Ephesians. And Paul knew a whole lot about Roman armor. And I want to tell you why. For at least two years, he was chained up or around Roman soldiers every day. He was a prisoner of Rome. And so there was constantly a Roman guard, a Roman soldier, some of the stories tell us a centurion around him all the time. So Paul, within very close geographic proximity, was able to look at, at, at armor all the time like this. I mean, he's walking around with these guys that are guarding him, and he's constantly able to look at their armor. Well, you can, you can imagine after two years, he got to know these guys, and he probably asked them a lot of questions about their armor, what it did, what its purpose was. So it's not a coincidence that, that Paul talks about the armor of God. And, and now this suit of armor really represents a medieval suit of armor. Paul was around Romans, which obviously predated this. But there are a lot of similarities in their armor. And we're going to use Fred here. This is Fred. Everybody say, hi, Fred. Hi, Fred. If he talks back, I'm leaving, okay? <laughs> but anyway, this is Fred. And Fred's up here to help us today. Anthony and Cindy sent him over to help me. And we're going to use him as, as different points of illustration but I want you to understand something. I wrote this last night in my notes as I was going over my sermon. Isn't it interesting that Paul writes this great passage of Scripture about the armor of God in the midst of his imprisonment? What most people would have looked at at his situation as being really, really bad, Paul writes one of the greatest passages of Scripture for all of us. And it really hit me last night, I began to think about that, that the trials and tribulations he was going through, he was able to look at them through the perspective of God's eyes and realize that the pain that he was experiencing, the imprisonment that he was experiencing, the challenges he were, was facing were to the benefit of other people. Maybe some of you are going through challenges right now that you don't understand, but if you will turn those over to God, God will actually use those to help somebody else. It's all about your perspective, isn't it? Because if God is real, and we know he is, then if we turn our challenges over to him, he will use those challenges to help somebody else in need. And that's what Paul did here. So let's look at our notes. Here's number one, and we're only going to get to a couple of these today. I'd wanted to do three, but I want to give them all 
the time that they need. The first piece of armor that we talk about is stand firm, verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The belt of truth. The first piece of armor is the belt of truth. Isn't it interesting that Paul starts the story off with a belt? And as I was sitting last night, I like superhero movies, and and I was sitting last night and I was thinking about the belt of truth. Doesn't that just sound like something Batman would wear? Really? You know what I'm talking about? The belt of truth. What are you wearing there? Not just the belt, the belt of truth. You know, it glows or whatever. I mean, I, I just, it was funny to me, okay? But why did the Apostle Paul start with the belt? I mean, if it was me, I think I would have wanted to start with something really exciting like the sword or the shield. But he starts with the belt as the foundation. The belt of truth. The Roman soldier, his belt was called the cingulum or the balteus. And it played a crucial role in the effectiveness of a soldier's armor. It was the belt that held the scabbard that the sword goes in. I want you to imagine for a minute, if you ran out, if you're a soldier and you put your belt on and on your belt is your sword, but you go running out into battle and forget your belt, what's the problem with that? You forgot your sword, didn't you? The other thing that the Roman soldiers would do with their belt, if you remember, you've seen the stories, the Romans wore these long dress looking things. There are none of them here today, so I can say that. But, but they wore these long tunics, and sometimes in battle, they would actually take those tunics and lift them up and stick them in their belt so that they could run if they needed to. So imagine if you didn't have your belt on, if you didn't have this utility belt around you that held all this stuff that was the foundation of your armor, if you got into battle, you didn't have your sword on. If you had to maneuver, you had a harder time doing that. The belt was the foundation of the armor. It tied everything else together. I thought that was really, really interesting. The Nelson Study Bible and the Matthew Henry Commentary says this, the belt girds on or secures all the other pieces of armor. So it wasn't a mistake that Paul went first with the belt because the belt held everything together. Now, now, many guys, I know ladies usually don't do this, but guys wear belts. Guys, what happens if you're wearing a large pair of pants and you don't have a belt on? Right? You look like you're at a hoe down, right? I mean, you're constantly. But imagine being in battle and nothing's held together. The belt. But listen to this. I, I think it's amazing. Everything hangs on the truth. It's not just a belt. It's the belt of truth. And so I began to study this. And here's what I think. Truth is critical. Truth is the foundation of what we're talking about here. The world we live in teaches us that truth is relative. Truth is what we make it. There are no absolutes. There are only equally valid opinions. But the Bible teaches us that truth is God's word. God's word is truth. That good or bad are defined by God. That there are eternal and unchangeable consequences and absolutes for not following what God says is truth. John 8, 30 through 33 says this. As he, Jesus, spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide, remember that a few weeks ago? If you abide, remain in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth. Everybody say truth. truth. And the truth shall make you free. 
I want to tell you, this is so critical. And as I began to study this, I began to understand the significance. Truth is what holds everything together. Truth is what holds everything together. Look at your notes. Truth exists whether we know it or acknowledge it. See, some people can say, well, I don't believe in God. Does that change the fact that God's real or not? I've said this before, but it's a great example. You can tell me, I don't believe in gravity. Pastor, I don't believe in gravity. I've decided I don't believe in gravity. Well, if you don't believe in gravity, you can go outside, jump up on the roof, and jump off, and then tell me whether gravity exists or not. See, truth exists whether you believe it or not. Gravity exists whether you believe it or not. God's word is true whether you believe it or not. Truth is truth. Truth is truth. This is an important point, second point. Satan's nature is deception. Satan's nature is deception. He deceives us. He distorts God's truth. Satan distorts God's truth. See, Satan knows what the truth is, and so he distorts it and tries to get us to follow things that aren't the truth. Here's your third point. God's word is the truth. God's word is truth. Fourth point, truth reveals what is true, and it guides us to walk in safety and victory. And here's the approach. Here's the way I sum this up. What does God's word say about your situation? That's the truth, and that's what you do. It's very simple. You have to believe that God's word is the truth, not a suggestion. God's word is not a suggestion. God doesn't say, well, I think you might want to consider. The Ten Commandments are not suggestions. God gives us his word, his truth, so it gives us, it's a compass. It's, it's the foundation of our whole entire life. And we have to base all of our decisions on this belt of truth and recognize that we are girded around, that this belt of truth is the foundation of our lives. It's the truth. God's word is our truth. And and as I really began to study this and and realize what it meant, it was so important because it it is the thing, in any situation that you face, no matter what is going on in your life, and Trisha, I say this to you all the time, but it's, it's so true, you need to go to God's word about your situation. And it's not what you think, what your neighbors think, what Pookie and them think. What matters is what God says about your situation. Let God's word be true and every man a liar. What God said is what matters. Your opinion doesn't mean much unless it matches up with God's word. So if you're not sure about what you need to do, Pastor, there are challenges in my marriage. What do I do? What does the word say? Pastor, there are challenges in my finances. What does the word say? Pastor, I'm having challenges in my health. What does the word of God say? Well, Grandma says this. Well, if what Grandma says doesn't match up with what God says, You can love grandma, but you better not do what she says. You better do what God says. Because there are eternal consequences to what God says. Is that clear enough? Here's another thing that's so important about truth. What God says about you is true. What we sang about today, what we read in the scripture out of Isaiah, he knows your name. He will redeem you. That's truth. 
When you go through the waters and the waters began to rise, I'll be there. When you go through the fire, I'm not going to let you get burned. That's true. Those are the kind of things I'm talking about. When you're going through challenges in your life, you run to the word of God. And you go, God, what does your word say? And then you trust God's word. And then you remind God about what he said. Lord, in your word, it says this. That is very powerful, folks. Remind God about what he said. Not because he's forgotten, but because you have. And then you hold on to it. And the foundation of your life is the truth. Amen? Did you get that? So it's the belt of what? And it's the foundation, right? Never forget that. So guys, in the morning when you get up and you get ready to head out, you can put your belt on and you can think, I'm wearing the belt of truth. Amen? That's the way we need to do that. All right, number two. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now I want you to understand, here, here's the breastplate right here. You can see it, it's right underneath the chin. It goes all the way to a little bit above the belt line. The breastplate is important because it protects all the vital organs, doesn't it? This is a very important piece of armor. Sits above the belt, sits below the neck, and it's the one that protects your heart, lungs, and all your vital organs. This is an important piece, isn't it? Very important piece. And so he tells us, first put on the belt, next put on the breastplate of righteousness. But I want you to know, if I were to sit down with you and say, all right, tell me what you think righteousness is. Most of you would say being good. That's what we were brought up thinking. What does righteousness mean? Righteousness means how good I am. So, so it would be easy for you to think, well, if God tells me to put on the breastplate of righteousness, then I have to put on all my good self. Now, I don't know about you, but if I have to depend on my righteousness, I think this thing might be the size of a quarter. <laughs> my righteousness is not a whole lot of righteousness in God's eyes, right? But we need to define what righteousness means in God's terms, not in our terms. So look at your notes. What is righteousness? Righteousness is right standing with God. Righteousness is right standing with God. In other words, and, this, and I love this definition. This is the definition Trish uses all the time. Righteousness is God's way of doing and being right. Righteousness is God's way of doing and being right. Now, I'm going to define that a little for, more for you in a minute, but I want to talk a, a minute about what is important about this breastplate of righteousness. If you remember in the Old Testament, there was an evil king named King Ahab. And I don't know about you, but when I think of the word Ahab, I think of a pirate. I can't help it. Ahab, ah, That's what it sounds like to me. But this guy wasn't a pirate, but he was a really, really, really bad guy. Ahab was not a good person. As a matter of fact, just as one example of many of the bad things he did, he did evil in the sight of the Lord more than anybody who went before him. How would you like that title? I mean, this guy was bad, very, very bad. Matter of fact, one day, he decided he wanted this guy's vineyard. He wanted his land, so he just had him killed. Just as one little bitty example. I mean, this is not a nice person. But if you look at 1 Kings, you may want to write this down. It's not in your notes. 1 Kings 16, verse 30, God had prophesied that Ahab would die in a battle, described in 1 Kings 22. So Ahab decided he was going to outsmart God and he was going to disguise himself in the battle. While his ally, King Jehoshaphat, 
was not disguised at all. Their enemy had ordered his captains fight with no one, small or great, but only with the king of Israel. When the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, It is surely the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. When the captains of the chariots, the enemy, saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But just in the middle of the battle, King Ahab is disguised just as a normal soldier. In the middle of the battle, some guy just inadvertently shot an arrow. And this arrow found its mark. But here's what's interesting. But a certain man drew his bow and unknowingly stuck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. At evening he died and the blood from his wound had flowed into the bottom of the chariot. Is it perhaps poetic justice that this unrighteous king lost his life due to an opening in his armor, the breastplate? He was trying to live by his righteousness and the way he did things, and his breastplate's what got him killed. And the story of King Ahab tells us something else. You can't run from God. You can try to disguise yourself. You can try to cover up your sin. You can try to do things your way. You can try to be righteous in your own sight. But if you don't have God's righteousness, you're not going to make it. And that brings it up to this point. Notice you are to put on righteousness it is not your righteousness it's God's it's his we are to put on his righteousness and that ought to be good news for you we are to put on God's righteousness God's way of doing things and this is so important don't miss this don't miss this see here's the thing guys God gives you this full suit of armor but it's not you it's his armor it's his armor and I heard this really neat story this week. Notice right here on this visor, this faceplate, it goes up and down, doesn't it? This faceplate goes up and down. If the faceplate's down, can you tell who's in here? No, you can't, because it covers everything except your eyes, right? When you put your faceplate down, you know what the devil sees? Jesus. He sees God. He sees Jesus. So he doesn't realize that's you in there. Because when you put the faceplate down, everything looks like God. This is God's armor. This is God's righteousness. This is God's strength. This is you putting on God. When you put your armor on, this is you putting on God. So when the enemy comes out to fight you, he sees the cross. When the enemy comes out to fight you, he sees God walking around, and it doesn't make him happy. Because you're not putting on your righteousness, you're putting on God's righteousness, God's way of doing things, God's armor. And God's armor doesn't have any chinks in it. God's armor has no weaknesses. But it ought to make you feel good. It's not about you being all this righteous, it's about God's righteousness in you. But you have to put it on. It's your choice. You can say, you know what? I'm going to run out here, and I've got the belt of truth on, but I'm going to run out here, and I'm going to try to be righteous in my own strength. How's that going to work out for you? It's not. You have to put on God's armor, God's righteousness, God's way of doing and being right, and everything points back to God's word. Everything points back to the truth. So I want you to think about that today. 
You need to put on God's breastplate, God's armor. And some of you, the reason you've been getting pushed around, remember the reason why we're doing this series, is that we encounter these storms, we encounter these battles, and some of you are only armed halfway. Paul says put on the full armor of God, not the partial armor of God, the full armor of God. God's way of doing and being right, God's righteousness, God's strength, the truth. Amen? Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you for these amazing promises.